Well, on Sunday afternoons, I'm uh, resumed uh, our series of sermons on the Canons of Dord, and we're into chapter 3 and 4. Now, chapter 3 and 4 deals with two matters. There's, there's five chapters in the Canons of Dord because it deals with five points that the, the Synod of Dord in the 1600s was, uh, was wrestling with and, and gave an answer to. Uh, the Arminians, uh, those following Jacob Arminius, uh, they had five statements, and, and this is really a response to those five statements. Those five statements in, in order um, has to do with, first of all, the whole matter of our unconditional election. In other words, that God does not elect us because of anything good in of ourselves, but God simply did it because of his sovereign good pleasure. Uh, we learned also of, of definite atonement or limited atonement, meaning that Christ definitely and really did die for the sins of his elect. And now we're getting to two other sections here in chapter 3 and 4. And the reason why they're together is because you, you cannot really separate them. And the first had to do with and has to do with uh, our total depravity. We've already gone through that is what sin is and, and how sin has really affected us. But there on we go into invincible or irresistible grace. Just how strong God's grace is. That God takes a heart of stone and he removes a heart of stone and gives to us a heart of flesh. And that is by his grace and what God seeks out to accomplish in our salvation, he will do it. And, and that's really what we're focusing on at the moment. And, and we're at that stage, just going through, we just learned about how uh, the, the, the gospel is proclaimed universally, how it is God in his sovereign pleasure uh, who determines where that gospel will be preached. Uh, and now we go into the question of why it is that some people who hear that wonderful good news of salvation just don't believe and don't come to Christ. And then also why others do. It's in this context that we're reading from the Bible and we go to the uh, Gospel according to Matthew. And we're going to read from Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 to 23. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's a, it's a lake on the uh, Jordan River. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. So far, the reading from God's holy word. Let's sing together before uh, the preaching. It will sing from Psalm 145, verse 1 and 2.
let's read together now from the Canons of Dort, chapter 3 and 4, uh, articles 9 and 10. In your book of praise, you can find this on page 577. And so what we've uh, just been dealing with in chapter 3 and 4, with, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is we've been dealing with, uh, with sin, just how serious sin is and how it spreads to everyone. And then we learned about our inability to actually uh, turn to Jesus and to, to be saved. Uh, the light of nature won't do it. In other words, um, it's, uh, the light of nature won't do it. Also, uh, keeping the law won't do it. Uh, we need the gospel, and that's what God has given to us. That we also learned there about the gospel being sent to some, not to others. And the gospel being an earnest call. But now, chapter, sorry, chapter 3, 4, article 9, why some who are called do not come. It is not the fault of the gospel, nor of the Christ offered by the gospel, nor of God who calls through the gospel and who even confers various gifts upon them, that many who are called through the ministry of the gospel do not come and are not converted. The fault lies in themselves. Some of them do not care and do not accept the word of life. Others do indeed receive it, but they do not accept it into their hearts. And therefore, after the joy of a temporary faith has vanished, they turn away. Still others choke the seed of the word by the thorns of the cares and the pleasures of this world and bring forth no fruit. This our Savior teaches in the parable of the sower. That's from Matthew 13. Article 10. Why others who are called do come. Others who are called by the minister of the gospel do come and are converted. This is not to be ascribed to man. He does not distinguish himself by his free will above others who are furnished with equal or sufficient grace for faith or conversion as the proud heresy of Pelagius maintains. It is to be ascribed to God. He has chosen his own in Christ from eternity and calls them effectually within time. He gives them faith and repentance. He delivers them from the power of darkness and transfers them into the kingdom of his son. All this he does that they may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light and may boast not of themselves, but of the Lord, according to the testimony of the apostles in various places. Well, brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we... Uh, had our scripture reading from Matthew chapter 13, a chapter which has a number of parables in there, a number of stories with a meaning. This was a common way that our Lord Jesus Christ uh, gave his teaching through these parables. But the question uh, may arise, and it does arise, and was asked also by the apostles, by the disciples, it was, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And it's a fair question. Why does he give so much teaching in the form of stories? When people tell stories in a speech or even a sermon, they mostly do it to, to attract attention to what they have to say, that is, to attract attention to what they have to say. Sometimes the story is given to entertain, and at other times it is to explain to explain the message of what you're trying to say. But when Jesus spoke in parables, although it was indeed to explain what he had to say, he had another motive in doing so as well. 
Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. His disciples went to him and he asked him specifically, and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And verse 11, and he answered them. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. And so what Jesus is explaining here in Matthew 13 is that two main reasons for him speaking in parables was to conceal and to reveal. First, his parables were to conceal or to hide the truth from those who refused to come and submit to him. But second, his parables were to reveal the truth to those who, by God's grace, did come to him and did receive him as the Christ. That way, the parables both opened and closed the kingdom of heaven. But the question still remains, why did the Lord Jesus do this? Why did Jesus choose to speak in such a way that revealed the truth to some, but hid it from others? And then linking this question to, to what we're learning about in the Canons of Door today, what does that mean then when it comes to question as to why some people believe the gospel and are saved, but others do not? <coughs> Is it God's fault then? That some people do not believe. Has God deliberately blinded them from knowing the truth? And then what about those who do believe? Who do come to Christ? Can they claim credit for that? Is it something that they have done? Well, this afternoon we'll be hearing from God's word concerning the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. And we'll be looking at this in connection with the Kansadot chapter 3, 4, articles 9 and 10. And we'll be focusing on what the parables of Jesus in general and the parable of the sower in particular teaches us about God's sovereignty with respect to our conversion as well as human responsibility. God's sovereignty with respect to our conversion and also human responsibility. And I preach God's word to you under this theme. It is to those whom God gives ears that will hear. It is, to those, it is to those whom God gives ears that will hear. Two points. First, why some who hear will not believe. And second, why others who hear will surely believe. Well, chapter 3, 4 of the Kansas Dort teaches us about the corruption of man, his conversion to God, and the manner in which it occurs. Earlier in this chapter... We learned about our total depravity, the effects of sin, our inability to keep God's law, or even to seek him through our own power and ability. We learned that what we could never do, God has done by giving us his son, Jesus, and by causing the gospel, the good news of salvation, to be preached. It's God who determines who gets to hear the gospel. And God is always genuine when he calls people to believe the gospel. But now, Article 9 and 10, we learn the truth that is evident to all of us. That different people do different things with the gospel message. Now the question is why? Why is it that some people hear the call of the gospel and come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, whereas others do not? What's the reason? Whose fault is it when people do not believe? And who gets the credit when they do? Well, Article 10 of chapter 3 and 4 
sorry, it's Article 9 of Chapter 3 and 4 of the Canons, it begins its teaching on this matter by insisting that the reason why some people do not believe the gospel and come to Christ, it is not the fault of the gospel. It is not the fault of Jesus Christ. And it is not the fault of God. Why is it not the fault of the gospel? Well, because Article 8 already explained those who are called by the gospel are earnestly called. Uh, I've already preached on that in the context with the, of the, the, wedding, the parable of the wedding feast where the, the servants went out and they earnestly and they urgently called people to, to, to come to the wedding feast. In the same way, there is that earnest and that urgent call of the gospel which goes out. Second, it's not the fault of the Christ who is offered by the gospel. Who is, sorry, it's not the fault of Christ who is offered by the gospel. This is also uh, not correct. Because there is nothing lacking in the sacrifice of Christ. It's not like he only did enough just for a few people and therefore it's like, I'm sorry, it's just not enough for everybody. That's not the point. Chapter 2, Article 3 of the Canons already taught us that the death of the Son of God is the only most perfect sacrifice and satisfaction for sin of infinite value and worth. Abundantly sufficient to, to expiate, to make amends for, to pay for the sins of the whole world. So it's not Christ's fault that some do not believe. Third thing that the canon says, it's not God's fault who calls through the gospel and who even confers various gifts on them. That's what article 9 says. As Matthew 5.45 says, he caused the rain, the sun to rise in the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So there's no way that we can blame God or the gospel for the fact that many do not believe. But then why don't they? Well, it is, Article 9 says in the canons, it is the that the fault lies in themselves. If you have your book of prose open, that's the, uh, the last line on that left-hand column of page 577. The fault lies in themselves. And to prove that, the canons remind us of the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. So we read together from Matthew 13. The parable of the sower begins in verse 3 and it says, A sower went out to sow. So what this means is a farmer is gone out to scatter seed on the ground. Now we know from Christ's explanation of this parable that the one sowing the seed is a picture of the one who preaches the gospel. I don't want to spend too much time on the, on the farming techniques and so forth, which are described here, because really the meaning of this parable is clear for us, that one sowing the seed is a picture of the one preaching and proclaiming the gospel, where the seed is the gospel. So in the first place, that refers to Jesus himself and what he was doing at that time. But from there, we can also bring that forward to all those who are proclaiming the gospel, even today, in obedience to God's command. Now notice that the sower... He has a seed and he is sowing the same seed on all the ground. There's nothing different about the seed which goes in one piece of ground or the other piece of ground. It's the same sower, the same seed. In the same way, the preacher preaches the same message to those who hear, to all those who hear. And that message that whosoever believes in Jesus Christ shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel message, the gospel call which goes out. And so there is no difference in the sower or the seed that is sown. 
The difference, however, lies in the soil in which the seed is placed. And so the Lord Jesus, he describes in this parable various types of soil. The first type of soil was that, that hard path. So perhaps a path in the middle of a field in which hundreds or thousands of feet had trampled on over time and had become indeed very hard like concrete. The seed falls on it. It does not take root in the ground, but instead the birds there come along and they eat the seed. And the Lord explains in the same way that the evil one, Satan, he snatches away the word that was sown. And what this means is that the person here in the gospel, uh, it doesn't mean here that he lacked the intelligence to understand it. But what it means here is that he was deaf to it. He had blocked his ears to it. And he would not listen. That's the situation that Jesus is describing in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15, where he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. And he says that, that this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed. In other words, it's when the word of God is blocked out of one's life. That's what Jesus is explaining here. In such a situation, this could indeed be one who, who is in a house where the, the Bible is open and it is read regularly, perhaps at mealtimes or other times during the day. It could also be that one is coming to church and, and, and does come to church, but he's stopped listening and his mind has been switched off and he refuses to, to, to have this and take these things in. And so there's a warning here, a warning to what happens when we stop listening when the Bible becomes a closed book, indeed, your faith will not grow. You will not bear fruit in your life. And then when you stop opening the Bible altogether, and then when you either drop off coming to church altogether, you stop listening to the word that is in church, then your faith will simply not only just not grow, but your faith will indeed die. What I mean by that is that your, your whole understanding of the gospel or so will be blocked out. And you will not embrace it. The second thing that the Lord describes was how some of the seed fell on rocky ground. Now, this is ground where there's a small layer of sand on the top, but it's rocky soil underneath. That was a seed that immediately grew, but just as quickly died away. Jesus explains that this is like the word which is preached and and immediately it's received with joy. But then when trouble or persecution comes, it quickly falls away again. So this is a superficial, surface level, embracing the gospel where as long as everything is good and it's convenient, one is pleased to go along with it. But when trouble comes, when sickness comes, when the loss of a job comes, when opposition comes, it all becomes too much. The person falls away. Or perhaps it is indeed also when when other things come along which are more attractive. But then there is also then the seed that falls among the thorns. Somewhat similar. But these are those who are distracted by the things of this world. The cares of the world. The deceitfulness of this world. The riches of this world. They choke the word, word, the word out. And so here too there's no fruit of faith. And so what the Lord Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 13 is that in each one of these circumstances, the word has gone out. The gospel was preached, but it was not truly embraced. 
It was not truly believed. But whose fault was that? Was that the fault of the sower? The one preaching the gospel? And the answer is no, it was not. Was it then the fault of the seed? Once again, the answer is no, it was not. The fault lay with the soil. And here Jesus is referring to our human responsibility. Now understand, I'm not saying human autonomy. That is that proud heresy of the Pelagians. We'll get to that. But we are here speaking here of human responsibility when it comes to receiving the gospel. God's sovereignty also over our salvation, it does not cancel out our responsibility. What the scriptures teach us is that it is our fault if we do not believe the gospel. But that does, however, raise other questions. Because what about the fact that Christ spoke these words in a parable? What about the fact that Jesus said in Matthew 13, uh, verse uh, 13 and 13, he said, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. How then can it be their fault if they do not believe? If they do not understand? Well, what Jesus is saying here is that God's word, including his parables, will never be without effect. And his parables will bring clarity and enlightenment to the disciples who received Christ. Well, at the same time, it would leave those who rejected him in darkness. The Jewish leaders, along with many others in Israel, they had rejected Christ. They had hardened their hearts against him. In that way, they were acting just like the people of Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah in the Old Testament. When God commanded to, to preach, but with the expectation that these people had hardened their hearts against God and they would remain in their ignorance and their unbelief. And so the preaching of Isaiah was to, to count against them. But that was not God's fault. He was simply declaring that those who rejected him would not be healed of their sin. Now there's another passage in scripture which also describes, and that is the, the letter to the Romans, chapter 1. Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28. It teaches us this also. When it speaks about God, God giving people over to their sin. About their foolish hearts being darkened. In other words, what God is teaching also here in, in Romans 1 is, is He's saying, if you refuse to believe, then you will not believe. And that's also what is going on then in the telling of His parables. And so, my brothers and sisters, this then is also a warning to us. It's in this way that God is, sim- is not simply emphasizing his sovereignty over our election. That means that, that he indeed is in full control over that. But also that he does still emphasize and call us to human responsibility. It is in this way that God is calling us and he's saying, what will you do with my word? What will you do with the promise of the gospel? You see, the promises which you have also received, the promises you hear in the preaching, the promises you have received in your baptism or so, these promises do call for and demand a response. And so what the word, the scriptures teach us and warn us is, be careful that you do not reject God's word. 
Be careful that you do not leave your Bibles left unopened all the way through the week. Be careful that you do not fail to come to listen to the preaching to place yourself under it. But rather consider carefully how you are living and what you are doing with the word that is preached. Has the word, has the seed of God's word taken root? Does it bear fruit in your life? Or are you like that hard path where when the seed fell, it was eaten by the birds? Are you like the rocky ground where the seed sprang up but quickly wilted once more? Are you like the ground that is covered in thorns and thistles? The question then is, do you, do you hunger for the word of God, for the gospel? And do you pray to God for his Holy Spirit to, to open your heart and your mind to the truths of the gospel? You see, that's what God is doing. He's calling you through the preaching of the gospel and he calls for your response. But it brings me then to my second point, why others who hear will surely believe. The parable of the sower does not end with all the seeds being eaten by the birds or dying or being choked by weeds. Matthew chapter 13 verse 8 says this other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain some a hundredfold some 60 some 30 and jesus explains this in verse 23 and he says as for what was sown on the good soil this is the one who hears the word and understands it and he indeed bears fruit 30 60 and 100 so what does that teach us there is nothing wrong with the gospel And there is nothing wrong with the Christ offered by the gospel. There is nothing wrong with the God who calls through the gospel. And now Article 10 of the Canons also teaches us those whom God effectually calls in this way will indeed come to him. They will live a fruitful life in him. But that then then brings us to another question. If the fault of unbelief lies in man, what does it say about those of us who believe? If we do believe, is that because of us? But here we see that the scriptures, as well as our own experience, tells us something different, something else. Whereas unbelief is and always is the fault of man, faith is the gift of God. You see, this is why I said, we're not speaking here of human autonomy versus God's sovereignty, but human responsibility versus God's sovereignty. And now when we come back to it and come back to our faith, we conclude that is the gift of God. And that's what chapter 3 and 4, article 10 teaches us. Let me read that once again. Article 10. Others who are called by the minister of the gospel do come and they are converted. This is not to be ascribed to man. He does not distinguish himself by his free will above others who are furnished with equal or sufficient grace for faith or conversion as the proud heresy of Pelagius maintains. It is to be ascribed to God. He has chosen his own in Christ from eternity and calls them effectually within time. He gives them faith and repentance He delivers them from the power of darkness and transfers them to the kingdom of his son. All this he does that they may declare the wonderful deeds of him 
who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light, and may boast not of themselves, but of the Lord, according to the testimony of the apostles in various places. So when it comes to a saving faith, we cannot trust ourselves, nor could we ever boast that God has chosen us because we are more worthy than others. It is not us, nor what we have done that has caused us to believe and be saved. To the contrary, if it was left up to us, if even the smallest part of our salvation was left up to us, we would surely perish. Uh, the canons that references Romans chapter 9. Well, Romans 9 verse 15 and 16 says, For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. That has to do with our election. It depends on God. And for this reason, we reject what the canons, Article 10 calls the proud heresy of Pelagius. Uh, Pelagius was a, uh, was, was a man who was in the, in the church in, in around the year 400 AD. Uh, he taught that man was, was spiritually healthy. He taught that, that a person could in and of himself decide for himself to choose whether to believe in Christ or not. Could choose whether to be pure and holy and without sin or not. And it was all entirely up to you. So he taught human autonomy. But this, this is a proud heresy. It is a proud heresy. Because, because who among us, after we believe, can look back at our conversion and say, how good am I? Who can look back and say, well, I chose for God because I'm on his team and, and I know him and I'm so great. And I'm better than others. And I'm wiser than others. And I'm more discerning than others. That's why they do not repent and believe. And that's why I did. We cannot speak that way. That's a proud heresy. It teaches people and Christians, I think, that they are better than others, whereas we know we are not. And it's a proud heresy because it calls for glory to come to us. Because how good am I? Instead of all glory going to God for our conversion and salvation. It's God who's done this through his Holy Spirit. It is God who's chosen us from eternity before we did anything good or bad. It is God who calls us effectually in time. It is God who takes our hearts of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. It's God who grants us faith and repentance through his word and the powerful working of his Holy Spirit. And it is God who delivers us from the power of darkness and who transfers us to the kingdom of his son. So who among us can boast? We cannot, but rather let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so now where does this leave us? Well, the scriptures teach us that it is to those whom God gives ears that will hear. It is to those whom God effectually calls who will respond to the gospel message. God is sovereign. He is king and he has all power. God will bring his chosen ones out of darkness and he will bring them into his marvelous light. And those whom God effectually calls will certainly come because his grace is invincible, irresistible. But this teaching does not leave us cold. This teaching does not leave us frozen. 
with a sense of fatalism, where all sense of human responsibility is lost. But rather the fact that God's grace is invincible and that those whom God chooses will come to him, that gives us comfort. It gives us courage. The warnings of Scripture, even the warnings that are implicit in the parable of the sower, should give us fear if we are hardening our hearts and if we are going our own way and if we are willfully living in sin and just keeping God's word closed. Be warned, God says. Turn to me and repent, lest you perish in the way. But at other times, the fear that we may have might be the result not of a hard heart, but of weakness. Sometimes we may wonder when we read a parable like the parable of the sower with the soil, am I really like that good soil? Or are there weeds in my life which are choking me out? And so, so am I really one of God's elect after all? What's going to happen to me? Or am I even like that, that hard path where the seed falls down, the birds peck at it and take it away? Or like that rocky soil where the, covered in weeds and where the rocky soil and, and, and where, the, where, where it all just dies out? Will God hold on to me to the end? Will I really believe? And at times, we feel firm in our faith. But at other times, we may feel weak and we may also falter. And so we fear. But the doctrine, the teaching we've had this afternoon, the teaching of God's sovereignty over our election, is an encouragement in such circumstances not to fear, nor to tremble, but to turn to Christ. And to seek him. And with the full understanding that God will have his way with us. Because God is sovereign. He is in control of our salvation. And God has given to us this promise. John 6 verse 37. That whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so come to him. Yes, come you who are heavy laden, and he will answer you, and he will give you rest, rest for your souls. Amen.